Hello and welcome to Word Birds, a birds of a feather conversation amongst people that care about words today on the show. We have Richard Ennis. Richard is the head of content at BrewDog, the beer company. <laughs> We're going to talk about how he uses courage, absolute fearlessness, to go ahead and create a tone of voice that differentiates their products from some of the biggest beer companies in the world. This is an amazing episode. Let's sit back and get some insight from the flock. Hello, Richard. Welcome to Word Birds. Excited to have you here. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. So I mean, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about you and your experience at BrewDog. But before we get started, let's just jump into the quick fire. So I'm going to say some things, short phrases, and you just answer on them. Quick, move okay. right through them. Amazing content is engaging. Engaging. There's no point. You can't. You can't co communicate a message unless you've engaged the user. So the first and foremost, it has to be engaging. Concise or descriptive? Oh, my natural inclination is descriptive, but I've been pushing myself over the years to become more concise. That's not very quick fire, is it? Sorry. But. The there is no brew dog in the world. The best. Mm. The company with the best brand voice is not. <laughs> Not the most original answer in the world, but I'm going to say Paddy Power. Um, Fantastic. I think they're the gold standard, and I love what they do. Best piece of content advice? Oh, God, that's a tough one. Uh, best bit of content advice? Write the introduction at the end. Oof. When that's I'm old, creating... When I'm creating content, I always... Think of the user first. Which it sounds like an obvious one, but a lot of people don't. I, I love that. I mean, I think in terms of, like, if we're going to stay on one of these, let's talk about that. Mm. Because I think that mm. as we set the stage to talk about brand voice and the way that we communicate as businesses, it's a made up thing. Like, that's your job. That's my job. We create a voice and we communicate it out to an organization. We try and align that and sound like that. But we're, we're guessing. Like, let's be honest. It's, it's a guess. And the idea of thinking more and getting feedback from the audience to help define that voice, getting closer and closer to what the audience wants, moving from strategy alignment to audience alignment is, is a fascinating process because we know what we think, but they know how they're absorbing it. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I think it goes back, this goes back to uh, my previous experience being a journalist. I think this is where this, this stems from is that you have to think when you're in journalism, particularly in digital online journalism, you spend all day, every day thinking, how is the audience, regardless of who that audience is, before you even get to that stage, you're thinking, right, how is the user going to engage with this piece of content I've created? Because you're measured on your clicks, your views, your, you know, your dwell times, whatever it may be, whatever your metrics are. And you sit there literally staring at your real-time analytics all day in the, in the digital newsroom, just thinking, is this engaging with people? And I think what I've realized since moving into the commercial world, and I think this is not specific to BrewDog, this is across many, many, many brands, is that many brands are more concerned about what they're saying than what the, one, than what the consumer is hearing. Yeah. And this yeah. idea of this kind of wanting to broadcast our messaging. We, we will get this message out on social media. So, well, that's all well and good. But who's going to bloody hear it? Because if it's not, if you've not constructed the message in the right way, or done it in an engaging fashion, you're not going to, no one's going to know about it. So um, I think that's 
uh, that's the bit actually I think having moved into the commercial world after a long time in editorial I think that's the bit that perhaps I've brought more than anything else to the to the way of thinking about brand communication is is that and, and Mark Ritson talks about this brilliantly by the way I mean I, I'm never going to be a Mark Ritson because he's he's a genius but um, I think he he communicates that really eloquently as well that idea that you have to start you have to flip the ta- flip it round and you have to start thinking about what they're hearing not what you're saying and I Absolutely. think that's um, I think that's something brands are really guilty of. No, I mean it's it's this rush to market. We have content. We have a message. We need to get out. Get it. Yeah. Get it out. And the there's a there isn't necessarily a bridge. We have so many different analytic pieces of data about how content is absorbed, but there isn't a connection back to how content is created. So I can't see that as a result of the way that I've written this, phrased this, the tone that I'm using, the clarity levels that I'm using. I can't see the connection with for instance, conversions or bounces or, or time on page. Those two things don't coexist in most cases. And if you don't think about it, you're just psyched. Like, boom, I got content out. We succeeded in our job. Yeah. We put something in place. And there's loose measurement of, you know, business. I put a piece of content out. There was a business goal associated with it. We're expanding awareness. But it's not like, did we get what we were hoping for in most cases? Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair, and I, I, I completely agree. And I think if you, you know you made the point about the business goal of being awareness, it's if your business goal is is very much around driving sales, there's content you can do that you can absolutely get very easily into the heart of whether it succeeded or not. So when you're talking about that that, that performance based content, the stuff that where you just want to drive people to a specific landing page, or you just want to drive conversion, or you just want to drive sale, then the measurement piece becomes really obvious and therefore you can very quickly decide whether it's worked the obviously you know when you're talking about a brand piece and for a brand like brewdog brand is everything you know our brand is that those brand awareness pieces are absolutely fundamental to the business it becomes far more difficult to kind of make a, a genuine judgment call on whether that's worked or not that's that that's a real real challenge how do you actually assess if you're just talking about your brand rather than trying to sell something how do you assess yep. successful content and, and then how do you dial it up to be more successful? And that's, where, exactly. that's really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we, we missed one piece of this because we jumped right into sort of how have you how have you moved into this role? But take a step mm. back and, and tell us a little bit about what you do at BrewDog. So I'm the head of content. So I, uh, I head up all the I head up the social team, the central social team. Um, and all the kind of content creation that goes along alongside that. Also uh, handle a lot of our agency relationships and work alongside the CMO on uh, all kinds of things really across various large campaigns uh, and the always on piece. The always on piece is really, really central to, to what we do at BrewDog. We, we re- we've been working on that specifically over the last few months actually, how we uh, sort of move the content strategy to filling that always on gap because for a brand like BrewDog, there are so many calendar moments. There are so many things we're doing. We're talking about so many different things at any one time. That's that's who the brand is. That's what the that's what we're about, and that's never going to change. But what's the what where the content is really helping? I hope <laughs> is um, in kind of telling the always on story as well, mm-hmm. and how we can be more than just those campaign moments, and how we need to continue to uh, help people understand what we're about and what sort of brand we are and what, more importantly, what the beer tastes like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the fundamental goal. I mean, as a consumer on the other side, I mean, I see, I see the copy, I see the ads in the world. And I mean, I'm, to, to be fair, I'm not a huge beer person and yet it makes me 
want to go buy beer like right away um the new uh the new stout that just came out um that you've begun marketing like I, I want that. It's it's not available where I am, and I and I want it, and I don't know I don't know why. All I know is the words that you used and the the imagery that's associated with it. But it definitely has an impact, and I will go out of my way. Like I'm flying to Berlin in a week and a half specifically to try that beer. Okay, I actually have to go for work, but <laughs> I prefer but the first that's, one. That's, yeah. that's the point. I think I, I think the way you know that's a really good example. Of what we've done with uh, the stout's called Black Heart, and it's 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 designed to kind of I suppose compete against Guinness. But I think what's really interesting with what we've done there is is how we've positioned it and the way we've communicated it is something that no other big brewery could do. No other big beer brand would 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 do what we've done. Um, and I mean specifically in terms of the comms. So we're not we're not slating Guinness. We're not suggesting for a moment that Guinness is not a great beer. Guinness is a fantastic beer. Always has been. Um, what we're suggesting is that there's an option, there's a choice. That you know, going and having a pint of stout does not necessarily mean you have to have a pint of Guinness. There is an, there is now an alternative um, that would appeal to a to a big audience. So rather than sort of being particularly crafty, for want of a better expression, you know, sometimes because a lot of our beers are designed with a specific demographic in mind. Black Heart is very much designed for anyone who likes a Guinness. We we are confident we'll like a, a Black Heart hopefully more. So the way we've gone about doing that, leaning up against it, and some of the video content we've created, um, and, and a lot of the copy, um, has been sort of cheekily brushing up against Guinness. I think we could we could safely say without without hopefully being too disparaging. And and it has to right because that's mm. I mean content for you as a smaller business than the incumbent competitor you have to be recognized. You have to take risks. And that's, I think, one of the things th this season on WordBirds that I'm going to be talking about a lot is this ability to take risks. And mm. I mean, going up against Guinness and positioning yourself alongside them is risky. And I think being having the courage to try that is, is re a really interesting thing because so many marketers, so many content people like to take the safe route and and here you are saying yeah. you know we're, we're we're going right up well that that's just, that's effectively what the brand is about you know that starts with james or james what our ceo and, and and permeates through the whole business through the whole brand we are about risk taking so in many respects we're almost the opposite to to many many big brands where it's quite nice for me. This is the first time I've worked for a, for a brand. I've worked brand side. I, you know, my his, historically or my past is all based in editorial. So for me, this almost feels normal. But it's only when I talk to other people who've had far more experience in working for different brands that I understand and realise what a fortunate position we are in as Brewdog because we are given license. Not only are you given license to take a risk. If you're not taking a risk, you're doing it wrong. The expression, the, the phrase that James often uh, repeats is to say, look, if another beer brand could do this we should not be doing it. If you could just substitute in the Brewdog name for another brewery or another big beer product, then it's not for us. We, everything we do has to be unique and different and have, have a point of difference from the rest of the market. Because to your point, you know, we are working on a fraction of the budget that some of those other big beer companies are. Um, and so we need to make, every, you know, we need to make noise in a different way. We need to drive brand salience in a different way. And we need to make every marketing dollar or pound we spend go that extra mile. So that involves creativity and it involves a lot of humor and it involves really knowing how to grab attention. So point at a campaign that you think embodies that. What's something that you've done, I don't know, maybe not recently or recently, that really gets it exactly the feel that you're trying to get out there? 
I think uh, there's two campaigns I would point out, and for different reasons. There's one, the first, and, and they're, they're all, you'll see what I mean when I explain briefly. The first one was something we did with the Peter Crouch podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Crouch, Chris, but he's, no. he's, a, former, he's a former footballer. He used to play for England, and he, he's very famous in the UK, extremely famous. And he has, a, um, he has a podcast, which is a kind of very humorous, funny thing, football, loosely football-based, but um, it's incredibly popular. And we did a partnership with him where he'd been talking about, on his podcast, this drink he created called Lout which is a mixture of a lager and a stout. And when he says he created it, he used to sit in the pub and he'd have he'd pour <laughs> lager and stout into the same glass. So we saw an opportunity there and said, hang on a minute, for your next series, why don't we actually make that for you? And, and lo and behold, this huge branded content campaign was born, but it was born out of something completely organic. Like they, they were talking about that long before we were involved. So we were able to just move the story along and come to a commercial arrangement and agreement in terms of the branded content side of things and the whole next series of that very popular one of the most popular podcasts in the uk and the whole next series of that was about that we were making lout for real and we ended up having a big launch party and we sold it for real it became the fastest selling brew dog beer we'd ever made um it went you know it sold out in in a couple of hours we were selling uh, and it was in, it was insane it was it was incredibly successful and the uplift in uh, brand consideration amongst that audience was absurdly high. Um, it, it, I mean, it just flew. It just it did brilliantly. Now, we were able to do that because any other beer brand would have looked at that, yeah, hang on a minute, you want us to make a new product from scratch in a matter of weeks, not even months, and we don't know what we're getting into. They'd never done a branded content partnership before. We, it was a complete risk, and it was not cheap for us, but it more than paid for itself in terms of yeah. the success. So that was one example. And then the other example, I suppose, is where you get to the point of uh, Brewdog's kind of principal stance. You know, we are, we are a purpose-driven business. You know, James always says that, and it, it, the, the purpose behind the brand is very, very uh, important in terms of who we are and what we stand for. And so uh, the stance we took against the World Cup in Qatar, uh, which was in, when was that, last November, yep. um, the fact that the World Cup was hosted there, and all the kind of issues around human rights abuses and all, all the things that were talked about sure. you know, across the planet in the build-up, um, we kind of put a stake in the ground and said uh, we decided to call ourselves the anti-sponsors of the World Cup. We weren't quite as polite as that. We didn't call it the World Cup. We called it the World F Up. <laughs> and um, uh, and then, uh, but but actually put our money where our mouth was and we donated. So this this came again from from James downwards. You know, this was a, a very organic thing where. Uh, or I think what was it? It was all profits we made from the sales of Lost Lager, which is our you know our number one uh, our, our best-selling lager. Uh, all profits from that that we sold during the World Cup went to human rights uh, charities, charities fighting human rights abuses. And so, and that was a significant amount of money that we donated. You know, we donated that last month, um, and it caused an enormous stink, an enormous stink because we were accused of hypocrisy, we were accused of sport, you know, all sorts, all sorts of things. But the point is that where other brands would have a, not done that in the first place, and then B, because I mean, I'm talking. This was this was major news. This was like it, oh, on news programs across the UK. The outrage that we were even daring to do this, and how it wasn't our place for a number of reasons. All these things. I think a lot of other brands would have gone into crisis mode and been a bit shell shocked. We doubled down, and we just kept going. We kept posting about it, and we kept saying, "Okay, fine." To the point where um, I think I went out and did some vox pops on the street myself. With a with a film crew, right? Come on, let's go and talk to people and let's find out. And we so we kept talking about it, just kept it going. Um, and actually, yeah, again, very positive. The, the the outcome at the other end, quite aside from the the amount of money we were able to do donate to some very worthwhile organisations, 
you know the 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 outlook for Bruder was very positive off at the back of that. The the sentiment was was great in the end. I mean, there was a load of a load of hate, and we do get a lot of hate at Brewdog for <laughs> all sorts of reasons. But um, you, you know, it's almost like that's that's almost a marker of that we feel we're doing something right. If 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 we feel like we've just landed in the middle, and and people may look at a campaign or a piece of content or an activation and shrug their shoulders and go, oh, that was okay. That's not Brewdog. It needs, you know, it need, if if loads of people love it, great. If loads of people hate it too, that's fine. But as long as we're provo- prompting a reaction of some description, we're doing okay. Oh, I feel like that leads right into the last section, which is the PSOTD, the provocative statement of the day. <laughs> um, it sounds like everything that you do is the provocative statement of the day. But what do you got? Uh, I was thinking about this actually before before we started recording. I think what I would say, uh, because what we haven't really talked about is tone of voice, and sure. tone of voice is uh, it, it's kind of my uh, my go to thing. I suppose it's the first thing I did when I started the Brewdog was say, okay, the tone of voice is a bit all over the place here. We have to get some consistency in it and worked up um, a kind of tone of voice guide, which has gone out across the business, and we're trying to kind of make sure everything's a bit more consistent. And the tone of voice that you find at Brewdog is. You know, it's 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 witty, it's acerbic, it's clever, it's quite self-aware, and you know we're not the only brand to have that sort of tone of voice. There's plenty of others. I mentioned Paddy Power before, Oatly, mm-hmm. Innocent, all kinds of brands. My provocative statement of the day, I think, is that when it comes to that sort of tone of voice, you can either do it or you can't. It cannot be taught. I, I'm I'm a firm believer in that, and that probably doesn't say much about me as a manager. <laughs> it would suggest that. Well, hang on, you should be able to show anyone that, but I think. I think you can teach somebody how to write in that kind of witty, very brewdog specific tone of voice to a point. So I could get anybody, I'd be confident I could get anyone up to a point, but to be good at it, you can honestly do it or you can't. It's, and, and that's why when, when uh, you know, I've interviewed people when we've been recruiting recently, yeah, yeah, we do the tasks and we go through stuff and we give them things and can you, how would you reply to this tweet and all that kind of, The thing I'm interested in is what does your WhatsApp group look like with your friends? When you when you're when you're having a you know you're kind of bit back and forth with a friend privately on WhatsApp, what does it sound like? Do you take the piss out of your friends? Do you do you make fun of them? Do you you know and actually, and people often look at me like what the hell are you talking? Why are you asking me this? But you, that's the point is that that's the tone of voice there that I want replicated on the Brewdog channel. I don't want somebody coming in and having to make it up. I want someone who thinks like that when they're talking to a friend and being able to use that same voice. Uh, yeah, for me, it would be, have you, have you ever, do you quote Fletch all day? Because if you don't know yeah, any Chevy yeah, Chase yeah. quotes, like, we're yeah. not talking. It's not, exactly. it's not interesting. Exactly. Same with Anchorman. You know, do you, mm-hmm. quote me some Anchorman. You know, do, exactly. do, do something. That, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't think that guy's, even. that Will Ferrell's not funny. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, bye. Thanks for your time. Thanks for stopping in. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that's that's an interesting provocative statement of the day because I think companies think like I, I'm thinking of a meeting that I had several years ago with a, a reinsurance company in, in New York based out of Paris. And they talked about how bringing on young writing staff to write about their interesting product offerings like insurance for equine husbandry, for instance, um, I guess. Kids coming out of college don't know how to be domain in horse sex. And they, you know, they're trying to write in the tone for the equine set. Uh, and they, they have people that don't know how to do that. And how, how do we bring people in and bring them up to speed and communicating in that way? And what your angle is, is if you're not hiring the horsey folks, you're, you're probably not going to, right. You're, you're just, you're getting somebody that might be okay at writing, but they're not going to be domain to you. It's not going to yeah. sound like you. 
yeah. if that's what you're but trying I, to do. Yeah, I guess. But then I'd also, I mean, there's an editor I used to have on a magazine many years ago, and he was he was always adamant. He said it doesn't matter if someone's writing on a, a fashion magazine that's really high end and premium, or they're coming to write on a tabloid title. If they can write, they can write. And that and I've, I've that's always stuck with me because I think that's true. I think I I've written for all kinds of different publications over the years, and it's it's not about for me it's not about being able to. Uh, turn your hand to one thing I think you can either do it or you can't I really do and I think you can and that's not to say that you can't have professional writers who can be trained because of course you can sure. I'm talking about to be at the top to be at the top level you've either got it in you or you don't and I and I think um, you kind of see that from an editorial experience my, my initial background was in mag- lifestyle magazines and that those are where the best writers I've ever worked with have, have been not on newspapers New, right. you, you know you get on newspapers you get good writers who are good at that job but they're not natural a lot of them aren't necessarily natural writers people who would sit down and and be able to write you a funny paragraph on anything and a lot of the people i worked with the magazines are so i think that's also a, a great grounding for a specific type of tone of voice you know if you're if you're if you're trying to communicate in a very corporate way that's a different question but if you're trying to communicate in the way that brew dog does there's a different question that's I love that whole idea. So what piece of advice would you offer sort of on that thread um, to folks in your role in other businesses, um, people that are building content, tone of voice? How do you get started? I think you've got, well, first and foremost, you've got to think, what do we stand for and what are we trying to achieve? Um, I think is, is one of the things straight away. Um, and you need, you need consistency. And it, it's not enough to just say, we want to be funny. Okay, lots of people want to be funny but there's many, many different ways to be funny. And what's the end goal here? Why, why are you trying to be amusing in, in, in what sense? What are you trying to capture? What are you trying to do? Um, and similarly, I would say that with the sort of content you're creating and the type of copy you're writing, it's, it's almost not to be too formulaic about it in terms of the way you build. Um, I've, I've encountered that quite a lot as well, where people will talk about, okay, we want to do this and we want to do this and we want to do, and, and almost treating your copy and your content as if it's a, as if it's a mathematical equation where you're putting these different pieces together. People more and more and more, and you, you know, you read this and hear this everywhere you look. You know, people are looking for authenticity in their online content in particular, and you can't, you, you can't fake that. <laughs> you know, it sounds stupid to say it. you can't fake authenticity. That's right. <laughs> um, but it's, but it, that, that's the truth. You have to, you, you almost have to start with the real content that you're trying to convey. And then, yeah, you, and then you have editing processes and you may, may tweak things accordingly. But don't try and build content to do a specific purpose. Come up with a good idea, figure out what that is, and then apply some strategy to it. And that's, I, I, I'd always kind of work that way around because first and foremost, you've got to have a good idea. Um, I think that's the, I think that's the key. You, you start with the idea, and then apply the strategy, and then say, does it fit? And it may be that you end up throwing that in the bin. And maybe well, actually, once we've applied the strategic thought to it, and actually, does this tick our audience goals, and does this tick where we need to get to, and is this going to fit in with the strategic objective of my department or what we're trying to do this this quarter or whatever it might be? And quite often, that's that's how we work at Brewdog now. Is I'll, one of the guys will have an idea, or I'll have an idea, and we'll flesh it out. And then when we get to that point, it's, hang on a minute, actually, this isn't, no, no, this doesn't do what we need it to do. It was a great idea, but once we've gone down that, that route, then we realize, but that's my point, is you start with the idea first, because if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. It's, you know, people can overcomplicate this stuff. And it's only then once you overlay what you're trying to achieve that you can figure out if it's worth actually publishing or creating or doing. So many people in, in this space just start with, oh my God, something's due on Tuesday. Yeah. And 
start with a good idea and move from there. And that's where yeah. the impact comes. Richard, thanks for being on the show. This was amazing. I'm, I'm really excited that we got to talk to you today. Um, and I'd love to get, get you back on here again in the future. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Word Birds. Word Birds is hosted by Chris Willis, produced by Charlotte Baxter-Reed, and brought to you by Acrolinks. For more information on Acrolinks, visit www.acrolinks.com.